0: Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host Shockwave Dave Tremonti. The UFC heads to Vancouver this weekend. That's right, we're heading to Vancouver, north of the border, for an absolute banger of a card. And it's got a crazy headliner between Cowboy Cerrone and Justin Gaethje, which has absolutely got me so excited me and Shockwave Dave will be talking about that fight and four of our other favorites on the card, going bet nods and picks with you guys. Plus, we're talking to two of the fighters on the card. First, Miles Johns talks about save Saud as his coach and what he says to him in between rounds. And let me tell you something, one of these stories is absolutely hilarious. You're going to want to tune in for that. Plus, Hunter Azure talks about working on his wrestling at Fight Ready MMA over with Henry Cejudo getting ready for this fight with Brad Katona. it certainly got me amped for the fight, so you're going to want to check that one out as well. But before we get to any of those interviews or those fight breakdowns, we have to let you know that this episode is brought to you by Rampage Coffee. Look, if you're like me and you're heading to jiu-jitsu in a little bit, you might need a little boost, right? You might need something to get you up off that couch and onto the mats. Now, A lot of you think, oh, I can just stop at the convenience store and grab one of those energy drinks that comes in a colorful can with loads of sugar and ingredients I can't pronounce. But here's a much better option. How about checking out some 100% organic, chemical-free raw coffee? That's right. Rampage Coffee is 100% organic and it's chemical-free. And not to mention, it is the freshest coffee you could possibly get. And let me tell you why that is. It's because they roast it fresh to order. That's right. You order it. They roast it for you. It doesn't get any fresher than that. Plus, there's so many other great benefits of Rampage Coffee. They have a a type of coffee called C4 that's got four times the caffeine. That's right, four times the caffeine. So if you need that boost to get up off the couch, there ain't nothing better than four times the caffeine. And if that's too much for you, maybe you just need their medium or dark roast. They have a huge selection. You're going to want to check them all out. Make sure when you're there, you use promo code TURTLE20. That's right, at rampagecoffee.com, use promo code TURTLE20 and get 20% off all of your coffee purchases. Rampage Coffee brings you this episode of Top Turtle MMA Podcast, and it starts right now. <laughs> This is Daniel Gumby, Breeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Miles Johns, who fights Colesmith at UFC in Vancouver this upcoming weekend. So, Miles, I'm going to take us back to the Contender Series for our first question here. Uh, obviously, you didn't get the finish. How worried were you after the fact that the contract wouldn't come?
1: Um, you know, there was a little bit of anxiety with it just because, like you said, I didn't get the finish and I did use some wrestling in that. Um, so I was a little bit anxious about it, but at the same time I know that I put it all out there. Um, I felt the energy in the venue, and I felt like it was high. I felt like it was the most exciting fight of the night thus far, even though it was just a second one. Um, Dana seemed like he had a good response to me when I walked past him afterwards. So I, I was confident, but at the same time, you know, just kind of twiddling my fingers, just waiting to see, waiting to see what happened, and watching the other fights. Um, but yeah, I mean, I was going for the finish the whole time. Shout out to richie's super tough dude broke his jaw in there, and uh had a couple guild teams that I thought were going to finish the fight, um, but they didn't so um yeah, I was a little anxious, but I was happy I was happy once he called my name
0: you, and I'm glad you mentioned the wrestling here too because obviously you know you had the fight uh with brendan from from the u k the week before where he criticized the wrestling How much did that stick in your head when you were stepping in being a guy from you know a wrestling background likes to wrestle up a lot? Did, were you worried about wrestling too much?
1: I mean, I knew that I knew what Dana was looking for on the contender series. But like you said, after that week, it's not all about the finish. It's just about what you go out there and do. I wasn't really too worried about, like, Dana wants to see this, Dana wants to do that. I was just focused on putting my whole soul in that cage and just leaving everything out there. Um, and with that, I mean, it comes. I knew I was going to throw hands. I knew I was going to wrestle if I took him down. I knew that I was going to be trying to hit him and try to finish him. So I know that when I leave everything out there and I just really go for broke that I'm an exciting fighter. So I was just focused on fighting my fight and leaving it all out there
0: well you certainly are an exciting fighter and and this is an exciting matchup coming up in ufc vancouver you're fighting cole smith mm-hmm. who is also a guy with some pretty solid wrestling skills in his debut he picked up a couple of takedowns uh how do you see your matchup with him going as far as the wrestling department
1: um i see i see him get looking for some shots um I, I just get to kind of play it by ear with, um, what I want to do. And we do have a game plan. Um, I'm not going to let too many, too many secrets out here, but, um, but we do have a game plan that I uh, plan to stick to, but at the same time just kind of fill out and see what's going on. I think that he's very comfortable wrestling. So I do see him going for some takedowns, which, um, is always a type of fight that I like. I'm not, um, necessarily concerned about that. So, um, I see it playing out a lot of different ways. He's in a he's an exciting fighter as well. He's uh real gritty. He comes forward. He can lean on you and try to wear you out and stuff. Good Muay Thai and kicks and that. So um, I think the matchup is just is awesome, and I'm really excited to go in there and put on a show.
0: Now you mentioned your game plan in there too, because obviously you know we don't want you to give away too much of your game plan. I'm just curious when you come up with a game plan. How much involved are you? Because obviously your coach, who's well-documented, is like the up-and-coming coach of this this current era of the UFC, if Saad. How much are you involved in the game planning, and how much do you just let him do his thing?
1: Um, I'm very involved. I let him do his thing, and um, usually we're on the exact same page. I mean, actually, for all my fights, we've always been on the exact same page. Um, but I'm very involved. I do... Um, looking at film is something that I do like to do, and I like to study my opponents. Um, I just like to know i 'm very diligent in my preparation I mean everything I do from from my diet to my training to my mental mental preparation to my game plan to um, studying my opponent and how I mean just just everything there 's no box that I leave unchecked so i 'm Very into the game plan. I let him know my ideas. He lets me know his ideas as the camp goes on. We, we talk about more things. And, um, yeah, anything that I do, I'm just very involved in my nutritionist and my strength and conditioning coach would tell you that I'm always asking questions, always like, why are we doing this? What's, what about this? I feel this way, you know, just, just very, very detailed in everything that I do. So, um, so yeah, we're both, we're both in there and we're 99% of the time we're on the exact same, um, wavelength.
0: Well, that's certainly a good thing to hear, too. I I love hearing that fighters are really involved in what they come up with. I got to ask you another question about safes because, you know, we heard him this past weekend in Diego Fajeda's corner. Every single time you see him in the cage talking to a fighter, his advice in between rounds is so entertaining because he's such an intense guy. I'm just curious. What's the best thing he ever said to you in between rounds?
1: the best thing that he's ever said to me in between rounds was in um my second pro fight. I broke my hand in like the first two minutes of the first round, I dropped him and I felt it like I just, I mean, you just know, like, and then um in between those rounds, I walked to the corner and I could feel it, it as just like pulsing. I'm like, coach, I think I broke my hand. And he looked at me, he's like, what the F you want me to do? We got to <laughs> fight. We got to finish the fight. You know, if you want, And that's that, just that right there. Like, I mean, for a second it was my second pro fight i was like man it was like i dropped him i thought i was gonna finish him he got back up and it ended up being like a battle for the first round um but just like that my mind right after was just kind of like dude like my hands like i know my hands hurt like this blah, blah blah and right away he snapped me right back into it and reminded me that when you're in the cage nobody's getting you out except yourself like and, you know, and the on the end the ref if the ref stops it then that then he'll get you out, but it's yourself putting yourself out you're never out of the fight until you allow yourself to be out of the fight so um just that moment in my career and having to push through that and knowing that um that we're down I mean it just let me know like I already knew that he was down for whatever that we never quit but that just took it to another level and um afterwards i was so so grateful for him to just be like that i think a lot of other coaches would be like oh no like uh, like okay here's we like and just have that worry in their voice and in their tone and you can a fighter can feel that vibe but there was none of that it was all it was pure okay who cares like we're in a fight you're about to fight and we're gonna finish this fight and we did and we smashed him so um that was the that was a pivotal moment for for me that might be the most safe sound story
0: I've heard in the history of safe sound stories. Uh, <laughs> that is absolutely yeah. phenomenal. So uh, I, I want to switch gears here. Uh, obviously, we we're talking about your fight a little bit. I want to talk about you outside the cage a little bit because I know in addition to fighting, uh, like a lot of fighters just breaking into the UFC, you've got a lot of side gigs going on too. You've got a lot of things going on outside of the cage. What are some of the things that you do outside of the cage that uh, people outside of the cage should know about?
1: Um, well, me and my wife own a golden doodle business called Doodles in the Rough. Um, it's just a small scale um, golden doodle business where we have a couple moms that we breed and uh, we provide families with um, beautiful dogs. Her mom has been doing it for a long, long time. And so when her and I moved to Texas, it was just kind of a side hustle thing that we got into. And it's, um, it's going great. So I do a lot of that. I do some dog training as well with some of the puppies that we sent home. Um, I offer people, um, different training packages if they want to have their puppy trained after eight weeks. Um, I'm also, I finished nursing school this past December and I passed the NCLEX and I actually had a job lined up and, uh, they called me. It was supposed to start like pretty much right after the contender series in July. And, um, they called me the day of the fight, actually, when I'm in the hotel lobby, and uh they're like hey we we're trying to set up like your orientation but we haven't heard back from you i just wanted to get that set up i was like okay i'll call you tomorrow and uh let and let you know when we can do it in my head thinking like and i, I mean i already told him like i'm not sure if i'll be able to but I'll call. i'll let you know and um in my head i already knew that i wasn't going to do it either way but i guess i was just kind of making sure i got the dub before i just turned it down but um but yeah i had to turn that down turn that job down after the contract um because I knew I had to put everything into this. So I will. I do plan on going back to the medical field and nursing um, after after my MMA career, but I only have a short window of time to do this, so I got to go all in. And besides that, the dogs, we um, breed dogs. I train dogs. Um, got the nursing on the side, and then I'm just a full-time dad pretty much. I got uh, two sons. One is almost three, and one is almost one. So they definitely keep me on on my toes day to day.
0: So I, I gotta ask too. So you, you're you're raising dogs, you're breeding dogs, you're training dogs, you finishing nursing school, interviewing for nursing jobs, fighting, and raising two kids. How do you have the time for all of this? And at at what point does this start to feel overwhelming for you?
1: Um, it's just all about the hustle, man. It's it's really all about the hustle. Um, the part I have all my pro fights actually, except for the contender fight. I was in school, full time student and nursing school is no joke, man. It's uh, it's serious stuff. Uh, I actually, for my championship fight against Adrian Giannis for the belt for LFA, I actually um, cut some weight that morning. I went to class and had to take a final, the cumulative final, like the end of school type thing, like everything was on it. I took that, and then I went back to the gym, cut a little bit more weight, and went to go weigh in. So um, that was that was tough mentally. You know, it's a lot of compartmentalizing. And after that, when I got the opportunity for the contender series, I knew that if I go to the UFC that I've already graduated, like I'm pa- I'm past all that. So it's time that I can put that on the side and, um, and just focus purely, purely on my fighting. So it's worked out really great. There was definitely times in school when I was like, man, should I be doing both of these at the same time? But really it's just, um, it was just kind of an excuse I was giving myself. I was able to do it. Um, you know, um, so, It feels like, I feel like we got a really good balance now. The dogs and everything that I do, training them and breeding them, it's all from home. Uh, Same with my kids. So, when I'm at home, I just stay busy doing different things, which I like. And then, um, aside from that, I'm just training.
0: Well, that certainly seems like, well, too much for me. But, we're going to return the question to uh, the original Mm -hmm. fight at hand. The Cole Smith fight this weekend at UFC in Vancouver. When this all goes down, how do you see this fight ending?
1: I see it uh ending a couple ways in my head a couple different ways. um I know that he's gonna be really hyped up it's in his it's in his backyard pretty much, and so um, I know he's gonna have the crowd behind him, and he's gonna bring that energy into the cage. but I absolutely love that man. I love competing with the best people at the highest level in the world. um my friend since I was a kid, that's all i like that's all I would dream about, like just spending nights in my room, weekend nights in my room, picturing like just being on some stage competing back then it was wrestling um but now now it's fighting, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And my parents just take me all over the world, traveling everywhere to people's backyards to wrestle the best people in the world and, and we would get the dub. So um, it's going to be exciting, man. I see it ending in a couple of different ways, but all I know is that it's going to be gonna be a war.
0: All right, well, there you have it. This is Miles John who fights Colesmith at UC in Vancouver this weekend. Coming up, Miles, thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it.
1: Hey, thank you. I appreciate you.
0: This is Daniel Gumpy Freeland with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Hunter Ager, who fights Brad Katona at UFC in Vancouver this weekend coming up. So, Hunter, I gotta ask you a question. So, you were on the Contender Series, you didn't get the finish, how worried were you that the contract wouldn't come? Because, you know, sometimes the contracts are so dependent on those finishes.
2: yeah. I I honestly didn't think I was going to get it. I mean, I knew I had a good performance. I went there to win. But I know they like finishes, and having four other finishes that night, I mean, it it wasn't looking good for me in my eyes. But I'm glad I put on the best performance I could for them and glad they liked me, so...
0: Yeah, and, and sitting in those chairs next to, the you know, your fellow castmates, so to speak, with all of them having finishes, does that seem to put extra pressure on you, too, while you're sitting there waiting for him to talk to you?
2: Yeah, it did. It did. I was trying, I had a teammate there, as well, so I was trying to be happy for him. And just, I mean, I was happy with the win, but I, I, I was there for a finish, and I thought I was going to get a finish that night. But, yeah, I mean, it definitely put extra nerves on me.
0: So now I, I want to talk to you a little bit about how you got into MMA because I, I read somewhere that you sort of found MMA after tearing both of your ACLs wrestling. Can, can you tell me a little bit more about how that happened?
2: Um, So I just had a lot of injuries throughout college wrestling and just uh, my wrestling career was kind of just mentally dra- dragging me down and I wasn't happy with it. And I, I love working out, so I just continue to keep working out. Um, and then I was like, man, I want to compete. I just want to compete. I'm feeling healthier than I ever was after about a year off of wrestling. My knees were good. Everything was great. I was like, well, I always wanted to try MMA. So I found a local promotion, jumped on it, and had my first fight and got a submission in like a minute and just fell in love with it since then.
0: So, so let me, let me get this straight. Now, now you just found a local promotion, With no MMA training, you know, wrestling training, obviously, but no MMA training and just signed up to fight?
2: Yeah, yeah. I was just – my brother lived in the same town as me at the time, and I would just go over to his garage, and I would use his garage. He had a heavy bag in there. I'd hit that. I would run. Me and him would wrestle a little bit. I'd bring some buddies over to his garage, and we would kind of learn how to hold mitts, and they would hold for me, and we'd just work some simple combos. And That's how I did, like, my first – probably. Five fights.
0: Wow. You did your first five fights that way. So uh, when you did eventually find a gym, uh, obviously like a local gym, did you feel like that changed your game a bunch? Because obviously you you have a way of training if you're training for five straight fights in in a garage.
2: Yeah. I mean, I I had no no jujitsu experience at all. And I just, once I knew MMA was going to be my career, I just packed my stuff up and I moved out of Montana to a gym I just knew I was going to chase that dream for a while and see where it went.
0: So, so before I, I, I get into where you moved, because, you know, I'm, I'm interested in that as well. You know, you say you had no jujitsu background, but then again, you know, you said in your first fight you picked up a submission. You know, I, I'm assuming in those first five fights you had multiple right. submissions.
2: Um, are,
0: are they all wrestling based? Like, did you just use like wrestling moves you knew?
2: Yeah, I just try to like. I was just wild. I'd try to swing with them on a feet, and you just try to take them down, or just if they shot in on me, i will just try to get in on a submission, or well, I mean, a lot of them it just ended on TKOs and stuff. Like i will just get them down and ground and pound them. Mm-hmm. So.
0: All right. So, so it, you,
2: it took a while to get into this. Jiu Jitsu. Gotcha.
0: So so you said eventually you, you know you found a gym. You realized you had to get out of Montana. I know you train a little bit at the m m a lab, like was it right to the MMA lab right away, or did you find some like other places too?
2: yeah, my first name I went to was uh Jeremy Horns in Salt Lake City, so I was working there and just training and then that then had a few fights there. I just wasn't getting enough fights, and it threw me into the pro career, and I was like, man, if i'm gonna fight some professionals now I need to get up to another higher level step my game up and then that's when I eventually moved down to Phoenix found the MMA lab and I was training there for two years and then after this last contender fight I moved over to fight ready now
0: mm-hmm. And and I know a lot of uh, of fighters at the MMA lab moved over to Fight Ready along with with Eddie Cha. Without burning any bridges here, because obviously I don't want to put you on the spot, was the decision to move to Fight Ready entirely about staying with Eddie or was it about staying with training partners?
2: Um, It was just, it wasn't really, it was just more of I needed to find a a gym for my uh, style. Mm -hmm. And with Fight Ready has a great wrestling program over there. So I knew so I knew that was a good option. And then having Eddie Cha over there, who I, who's like my very first striking coach. I never had a striking coach till I met him. And I mean he held my hand with my hands and kicking a lot. And um he's always had Henry Corellis as a one of his fighters. And then me and Henry became super close friends and roommates and they just kind of brought me on the right. I just, like, looked up to them a lot, and they brought me down the right path, and I just, that was just the best decision for me, I felt, and for my career right now.
0: So, uh, obviously, this is going to be your, your, you know, you said you just barely moved there. One of your first fights with Fight Ready MMA, you're fighting Brad Katona, who, who is a pretty, he's got a pretty impressive resume, you know, he's a tough winner, he trains at a really good camp with, with straight Blast. uh, you know, what are you sort of expecting from this fight, from yourself, and, and sort of from, uh, Brad? Um,
2: I mean, yeah, yeah, you, you said it right, he's a tough fighter, a great competitor, he has good background, um, I, I love the matchup, though, I watched, like, his last four or five fights, he hasn't switched up too much, so... In any of them. And uh, just with my wrestling background and me getting able to be at fight ready and train a lot more wrestling now, I feel like it kind of brought me back to those roots. So I feel like I'm going to be able to mix things back up better from feet to takedowns. And, and I know him losing to Mirab last, his last fight is going to play a lot into that wrestling game. Like he's going to be thinking about that a lot. But same time, I've been working on my stand up every day, so I'm just I'm just excited to go put on a show, and it's going to be a good matchup.
0: Absolutely. Now, before I let you go, I did want to ask too, because you, you know, I know you are uh, of Sioux origin, and I know there's a growing number of Native Americans in MMA right now. You know, Nico Montano, you know, got a chance to wear her tribe on her shorts. Jordan Griffin, who will be fighting on the same card of you, uh, is you know he goes by the nickname the Native Psycho. I, I'm just curious, like as uh, you know, a growing number of Native Americans in the UFC specifically. Do you seem to keep an eye on the other ones? Do you seem to root for them as sort of like you know, sort of speak, your countrymen? Yeah, for sure, it is, it's great to see them in that as
2: well. And I'm um, definitely when if I see them and see they have a Native background too, I'm like. Yeah, let's see this guy. Let's watch them and I cheer for them, hope they win and Yeah. It is it's just awesome to see that and and I hope I hope there's continues to be more.
0: Well, we certainly hope there continues to be more too, but first there's gotta be a couple uh who break ground and that's you. So uh once again this is Hunter Azure who fights Brad Katona at UFC in Vancouver this weekend coming up. Hunter, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it.
2: Yeah, thank you. I appreciate it as well.
0: And those interviews with Miles Johns in Hunter Asia are brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E, Maroon Social is the one and only social media app that helps track your martial arts progress. Look, it started as just an app for those like me who like to do jiu-jitsu. That's when I really got into the app. But this thing has expanded and it's got so many awesome features and abilities now because maybe you're not a jiu-jitsu guy. Maybe you like boxing, maybe you like sambo, maybe you like judo. It doesn't matter what martial arts you do now because they can help you track your progress in whatever martial art you do. You download the app at whatever app store you get. After you've done that, you can set up your profile with your gym and your belt level. And and again, it doesn't matter what type of martial arts you do. They've got your belt set up for you. And then after that, you can log your training sessions. And the awesome thing about that is it helps you Know how much you're training month to month, whether or not that number is going up or going down, and it helps you meet your goals. I highly suggest it for whoever does any kind of martial arts. Once again, that's Maroon Social. Once again, I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, joined as always by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte Dave, I love Save Sod's Corner Advice, but this one has to be my favorite of all time. How about you? What the fudge do you want me to do about it? I love that <laughs> line too.
3: It's absolutely perfect. One of my favorite lines.
0: Yeah, and and for save sod, it is like I said, the most save sod thing he could have possibly said. You know, you you hear him talking about forcing fighters to fight for their families and dig deep, and you know, like when he yells, dude, it, it, there's something visceral about it, and clearly it's working because that team is on absolute fire.
3: Well, Carlos Diego Ferreira uh, this past weekend with a huge win. Uh, over Mirabek Tysimov uh, at UFC uh, 242, and he's a Portuguese guy as well.
0: Yeah, and it was one of my favorite fights on that card, too. I know they didn't wind up giving fight of the night away, but that that was a fight that definitely could have been it, and and also some kick-ass round advice in between rounds two and three. If you go back and watch it, do not fast-forward in between rounds because it's actually worth watching.
3: Well, UFC 242 was certainly worth watching. I know there was a lot of hate online about Habib being one dimensional or boring, to which I say that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, he's starting at the highest levels of the sport in one of the most, you know, complicated sports with so many different outcomes. And again and again, he's able to win. And that is what to me is so fascinating about Habib. It's that no one's able to stop the overpowering part of his game, which is the wrestling and the takedowns. But that's another story for another day. The point being, we have great fights at UFC 242. And honestly, I think we have great fights, knock on wood, don't want to jinx it, coming up this week at UFC Vancouver.
0: Yeah, I I love this UFC Vancouver card. I absolutely think it is probably one of the best free cards we've gotten this year. You know, the Mm. best non-pay-per-view cards, especially because, you know, this headliner is like, you know, a people's champion type headliner.
3: Well, you bring a people's champion type headliner and you're completely right about that. It almost feels like this deserves a bad motherfucker belt as well. I guess we should also just talk about briefly the fact that Nate Diaz is going to fight uh, Jorge Masvidal at MSG for the bad motherfucking, the baddest motherfucker title.
0: Yeah, and and I heard there's going to be an actual belt, which to me is, first of all, crazy that the U- UFC is dipping into like it almost seems like pro wrestling concept but 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 not even pro wrestling like it it's got a little bit of boxing in it too cuz didn't Floyd Mayweather win the money belt when, when he beat uh Conor McGregor like boxing has a little bit of that like ceremonial belt too to it you know, I, I don't feel like it's a belt that's going to be defended. I mostly feel like it's just, like, one of those belts that's, like, ceremonial to that fight. And I, I'm okay with them putting, like, a pretend belt there, too, because, like, this sort of signals to me that they're willing to put two guys who don't have a title fight as the headline of a pay-per-view if it's good enough. And and if you got to make up some kind of funky trophy, you know, you could give me one of those Pride Grand Prix seven-foot-tall trophies for it if you <laughs> want. I don't really care what you're giving them as long as, like, it's cool that we don't have to force a title fight or an interim title fight on every pay-per-view card.
3: I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's it's actually refreshing that we're not just saying, oh, it's an interim, you know, 155 or 170 pound title fight. It, it does have roots in pro wrestling. The million dollar man created his own belt. Uh, that was a money belt, I guess, or you'd say the million dollar belt. Kaz, uh, if you're familiar with that name, created the ftw which stands for fuck the world title uh so there certainly is a theatrical kind of aspect to this but that's okay i mean we used to everyone if you're uh, an mma nerd you love pride and pride used to do this just with the giant trophies and the oversized publishers clearinghouse check
0: <laughs>
3: does the purist to me think it's like a little dorky yeah of course but it's fine. And this is the fight that people won. It's the battle of the real ones. We'll, of course, break that down as we get closer to the fight. But today, we're breaking down another bad motherfucker of a main event title uh, fight. Well, it's not a title fight, but it could be a bad motherfucker title fight. And that's going to be Gaethje and Cerrone. But first, before we get into this breakdown, Gumby, I wonder, does anyone bring the fans said breakdown?
0: Absolutely. This Fight Breakdown is brought to you by ADK Fightwear. Go to ADKFightwear.com. Make sure to use promo code TURTLE, T-U-R-T-L-E, all lowercase, and get 20% off some real high-quality jiu-jitsu gear. And let me tell you something. Whether you've been doing jujitsu for 2 minutes or 20 years, you want to head on over to ADK Fightwear because they have gear at low low prices that lasts a real long time and their stuff is absolutely sweet looking i highly suggest heading on over there checking out the rash guard spats geese whatever it is you need at adkfightwear.com
3: all right uh so justin gaethje and donald cerrone is certainly a fan favorite of a fight uh cerrone sort of the legacy future hall of famer you know, it really like the everyman fighter. Everyone always appreciates the performance he puts in. Everyone always appreciates the pictures and videos he posts of him doing daredevilish shit before his fights. People love them, Donald Cerrone, and I feel like that next generation, uh, or at least if he could keep fighting at the level that he's fighting at now. And I don't predict a long career for Justin Gaethje, <laughs> but he is certainly kind of that next generation Donald Cerrone, as far as. You know, he really captures the hearts and imaginations of fans. So you have two huge fan favorites here. Gaethje, the minus 185 favorite, the younger of the two, versus Cerrone, a plus 160 dog. Gaethje coming off two wins in a row, KOs over James Vick and Edson Barbosa. Worth mentioning, he's 3-2 and now in the UFC. His only losses to Dustin Poirier and Eddie Alvarez in bangers of fights. Uh, Gaethje is by far the most exciting fighter on the roster right now. I, I... you know, he is just always an action-packed video game of a fight. Cerrone coming off a loss to Tony Ferguson, TKO via Dr. Stoppage. Had a win over Ally up before that, so he's 3-1 and one in his last four. Who you got here, Gumby?
0: I think I got to go, even though he's betting off at, like, negative 185, I think the smart money still comes in here on Justin Gaethje. Look, Cowboy Cerrone is fun in his stand-up, but is he – overly dangerous in his ability to put somebody as tough as Justin Gaethje away. I don't think so. And then on top of that, when you play off of the fact that Cowboy Cerrone notoriously starts fights slowly, I just can't see that going well for him against somebody like Justin Gaethje who comes out of the gate, like a bat out of hell, you know, like he has one speed. It's throw a whole bunch of shit and not care if you get hit in return And Cowboy's just, like, a little bit tentative at first, and he can't find his range at first. And usually by the second or third round, he starts to pick it up. And we saw that in the Ferguson fight. Like, he was just then starting to land stuff. He was just then starting to possibly change the momentum so that he might win in the third round. But, like, he spent all of that time trying to find that range. And with Gaethje being as strong of a striker as he is, I don't see that going well for him. Um, the other thing we should talk about too, I, I feel like it's talking about Gaethje's wrestling is a possibility. He never uses it. He freaking never uses it and it's a damn shame, but I also feel like he could out grapple Cowboy Cerrone here too with, with his really good wrestling.
3: I don't know if he could out grapple Cerrone. It's interesting to bring that up and it's something I can't wait for us to see Justin Gaethje use his wrestling. In the UFC, maybe we never see it, but hopefully we do. I mean, Cerrone off his back is still dangerous. Cerrone, when it comes to uh, scrambles and grappling exchanges, I feel very confident about. You're right. I, I mean, yes, you're right. Maybe Gaethje could, uh, you know, overpower Cerrone on the ground, take him down, do some ground and pound. But I haven't really seen it yet at the size level of the UFC. So, for me, I, I think where I land is exactly what you said. Gaethje's going to come out firing. Cerrone, a little bit more of a slow starter. Could Cerrone drop the first round and then take three out of the next four? I think that's a tough order. So I already feel like Gaethje's going to win round one, and I think that's going to be enough for him to either eventually, you know, stop Cerrone and or take three out of two rounds. But fun fight nonetheless. Let's get to the co-main event, also a very fun fight. This takes place at 2.05. You have Nikita Krylov back in the UFC now. Uh, since coming back to the UFC, he is 3-1. Uh, and one. He's coming off a win over Ovin St. via rear naked choke. Justy on Blankovic via arm triangle choke before that. So something that we might talk about here in this breakdown is Krylov is susceptible to the submission game. Maybe not the best thing when you're going against Glover Teixeira. Of course, he's an older fighter at this point. Kind of in a, a rhythm now where he wins a couple, then loses one. But he's coming off two wins. Uh, arm triangle choke over Carl Roberson and a rear naked choke over Ian Kutaleva. So two submission wins in a row for Glover. And if you want the odds on this, the odds makers barely know what to make of it. Teixeira minus 115, Kralov minus 105, which is to say they don't really know what's going to happen. What do you think's going to happen?
0: So for me here... I see the biggest weakness in Krylov's game being his submission defense. Look, he, he's a guy who got Von Flue choked by OSP because he didn't know to let go of a submission. He's also a guy who, who seems to, when he falls to his back, panic a little bit. And I think against a guy like Glover Teixeira, that's a nightmare, dude. Because if Glover Teixeira gets you down, he's looking for that submission right away. And while Krylov's panicking, I think that's when we see Glover lock it in. The only X-Factor here that I'm a little bit interested about is Krylov is quite long. As a, as a 205er, he's got really powerful kicks. He works legs well, but he also goes up high with kicks too. We've seen him you know, throw some pretty devastating high kicks. I, I'm a little bit worried about that early for Glover, uh, especially being as he's been tagged in recent fights and, and looked stunned. Uh, but I think ultimately, I, I feel pretty safe picking Glover to share by submission here.
3: I think Glover's record is so interesting, and I, I'm sure we've talked about this on previous episodes, but it's just worth mentioning that you go back to Glover being uh, you know, undefeated in the UFC and getting that John Jones fight back in April of 2014. He lost, as people tend to do, versus John Jones, and then followed it up with a really poor performance versus Phil Davis, so his 2014 was awful. Uh, the UFC then basically looked at him, I think, from that point on as a stepping stone for other fighters. He reeled off three wins in a row, though. Over three, Patrick Cummings, Rashad Evans, and he got back into title contention and they said, here's Anthony Johnson. Glover went out and said, I'm going to trade with Anthony Johnson. That proved not to be the wisest decision. He got knocked out and I think lost a tooth at the same time. So again, they said, all right, let's give him a young fighter. Here's Jared Cannonier. He wins via unanimous decision. Okay, let's put you back in title contention. Why don't you go face Gustafsson? He lost via KO to Gustafsson. All right, well, you know what? Let's have you face Misha Serkinov. Here's a guy we're trying to build, younger fighter. Glover goes out and TKO's him. Okay, here's another younger fighter, Corey Anderson. He lost to Corey Anderson. That's been the one guy, the one guy that he was probably ranked higher than, that he lost to. But then he followed that up with wins over Carl Roberson and Ian Kutaleva. So history would tell me he's going to beat Nikita Krylov, but maybe, like you said, the range, the length, I mean, Krylov himself has a couple of uh, submissions, too, more from the fact that he beats people down on the feet, and then he can lock in a submission. I'm not saying he's going to submit Glover to Shara, but it's not out of the realm that he could beat Glover, but if I'm going off Glover's record, I think Glover wins this one, and then they have him face someone like a Daniel Cormier or someone else eye-level. And he loses. That's what history would show.
0: Yeah, but the the other thing, too, that you're saying about those fights is it's not just people ranked above him. A lot of those people you mentioned that are ranked above him are guys that could beat him on the feet, right? You know, Gustafson could beat him on the feet. You know, Rumble Johnson could beat him on the feet. Maybe not Corey Anderson. He is definitely the anomaly in this one. But then, like, Carl Roberson is a guy who probably needed to try to beat him in the clinch, you know, like Carl Roberson works well in the clinch and he got taken down. You know, Ian Cutalaba is a guy who likes to wrestle and like he wound up on the bottom after like a sweep from Glover. So like th- the pattern has been, yeah, he, he beats the lower level guys that he should beat, but he also beats guys who like rely a little bit too much on grappling, which is why, you know, in this case, Krylov's kind of a fun, interesting, you know, matchup for him, but I, I still think he passes the test.
3: Well, interesting test for Antonio Carlos Jr. is going to be Uriah Hall. Speaking of someone who wins a few and then loses a few, uh, they're going to meet up this week. Antonio Carlos Jr., the minus-170 favorite, but Hall, always a live dog, at plus-150. Uh, Antonio Carlos Jr. is coming off a loss to Ian Heinisch, but he had reeled off uh, five wins before that, wins over guys like Tim Bosch, Shaq Marshman, Eric Spicely, uh, Marvin Vittori. Uriah Hall, on the other end, who feels like at this point he's been around forever, is uh, coming off a win over Bavon Lewis via KO, but he lost to Paulo Costa before that, beat Christoph Jocko before that, lost to Gegard Musasi before that, so you kind of see the Uriah Hall pattern there, win
0: one, lose one, etc.,
3: etc., What do you think happens here?
0: So I've always been worried about the way Uriah Hall grapples. I just don't, like, have a lot of faith in his grappling ability. Um, And when he's up here facing a guy who's an absolute killer on the ground in Antonio Carlos Jr., you, you want to instantly pick Antonio Carlos Jr., but at the same token, I know that Uriah Hall, for this fight for the very first time, is training at the aforementioned Fortis MMA. Uh, he made a, a training camp switch. He's now training with Saif Sod and all those guys down there. I, I'm interested to see how much he can change in just one training camp, but my gut reaction still says, pick Antonio Carlos Jr. to win this one by submission.
3: No uh, arguments for me there. Uh, this is an interesting matchup to me. I'm actually surprised the odds makers have it as close as they do. Jimmy Crute, a minus-125 favorite. Misha Surkinov, very slight dog at plus-105. Surkinov really, I feel like, is almost at a crossroads of his career, at least when it comes to the UFC. He's coming off a, well, coming off a loss to Johnny Walker. No necessary shame in that. Beat Patrick Cummins before that, but then lost to Glover Teixeira, Volkan Ozdemir, so... You see him losing to some of the upper echelon of the division. And that was after debuting in the UFC and reeling off five wins in a row. He's a friend of the show. We were very hyped on him. Felt he was a pretty complete fighter. If he could get his striking down, definitely not the fastest hands in the world. Jimmy Crude, on the other hand, 10-0 in his professional career, 2-0 and 0 in the UFC. He beat Paul Craig via Kamora. He beat Sam Alvey via TKO. He has three wins via submission in his career and four wins via knockout in his career. So, very well-rounded fighter. Who you got here?
0: Ah, geez, this is a really hard one. My gut says to pick Serkinov mostly because uh, Jimmy Crew has fought some, like, decent competition. I don't think he's fought anybody who can stop his wrestling like Misha Serkinov. And on the feet, he just takes a few too many punches for my liking. You know, like, he he got tagged a little bit in his Contender Series fight when he won the contract. His face got bloodied up a little bit. Um, He really relied on his grappling to beat Sam Alvey, um, which is cool. You know, like, it's cool to rely on your grappling if if that's the type of fight you want to fight against Sam Alvey. But, like, I don't feel like he'll be able to do that against uh, Misha Serkinov. Like, Misha Serkinov is a very strong guy. Now, there is always the chance that he stuns Serkinov, and he, he can put Serkinov away with his punches, but, you know, because Serkinov's been knocked out, but he's been knocked out by guys like Volkanos Demir and Johnny Walker, who are notoriously hard hitters. I, I just think if, if Krute hangs around too long with Serkinoff here, this is a fight that Serkinoff should win on the feet.
3: All right, we'll round out our breakdown uh at the heavyweight division. Jeff Hughes, who's a Dana White Contender Series alumni, uh he has a win on that show, but in his real UFC debut, uh lost to Maurice Green, via split decision. He's gonna face Todd Duffy. Uh Hughes is a minus one twenty favorite here. Duffy, uh, just a plus one hundred. Duffy is coming off a loss to Frank Mir back in two thousand and fifteen <laughs> What's so crazy about Todd Duffy when you think about it, and he had uh, stops in Dynamite in 2010 and SFL in 2012. Uh, so I know he was very sick, and that kind of derails the square of it, But Duffy is a guy who debuted for the UFC in uh, 2009. So we first saw Todd Duffy 10 years ago. Off the top of your head, Dundee, what other heavyweights are in the UFC right now that were around the division in 2009?
0: Uh, I mean I guess Andre Arlovsky. But wasn't he in he wasn't he might in have, the he UFC dissa- and- he he disappeared and came back. Similar similar to Todd Duffy, I'm guessing. Um but maybe he wasn't in there in oh nine, but I think he was in there before oh nine, possibly.
3: Um No, of course. Yeah. But and, he wasn't and, there in oh nine. I'm saying who ten years ago is still around from the UFC Ste- heavyweight. Ste- division?
0: Stefan Strove?
3: Stephen Struve. Didn't Stefan Struve just retire?
0: Uh, No, yeah, he did, but he also then reannounced that he's immediately coming back. So, Stefan Struve retired, and uh, i got to put the intern on it, but I know they just booked a fight for him. I want to say it was with Ben,
3: ben Rothwell. Rothwell. Yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in
3: December. Okay, so basically we're looking at Struve and Duffy. Anyway, it was just a trivia question off the top of my head. Who do you
0: have in this fight? Uh, I I like Todd Duffy here. You know, Jeff Hughes is a a fun fighter. He's a very interesting fighter to watch. Uh, He's got a decent wrestling game. Um, It relies on his physicality a little bit too much for my liking. And as we saw in the Maurice Green fight, his physicality is good, but it was not good enough to fight, you know, Maurice Green, who's much taller and a little bit more physical than him and, and was able to deal with his grappling when you think about Todd Duffy four years off or not, Todd Duffy is built like a brick shit house. Right. And and yeah, everybody's, you know, made some comments about his, his, you know, fight IQ before, right. He, you know, threw those windmill punches at Frank Mir and got knocked out. You know, he, he was winning that fight with Mike Russo when he got the hammer fist of doom. Right. So like, he's on the opposite end of like a couple of embarrassing knockouts But I have to imagine, like four years away, he really probably focused on some stuff, and he still looks like the same physical specimen he is before. And to me, just that physical specimen alone, I think is enough to get in this fight against Jeff Hughes.
3: All right. We're going with the physical specimen. This is a very fun fight card. We're looking forward to it very much. We'll be live tweeting during the show, so follow the show at Top Turtle MMA if you're not already. Gumby, is there any housekeeping items we need to talk about here? Why don't you wrap us up and take us home?
0: We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. We would not have a show without you guys. We also want to thank our sponsors, Rampage Coffee, Maroon Social, and ADK Fightwear. They keep the lights on at Top Turtle Studio. Plus, we want to thank Flow Combat for having us on each and every week. We couldn't do what we do without them either. And we want to remind you guys, check out our Twitter, at Top Turtle MMA. We got a whole kinds of great things going on there. There's going to be some contests coming up for some autograph stuff. You're going to want to check that out. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland. He's Shockwave Dave Tremonte And we will see you next week.